episode 107, Tim Spiker. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And as we're in the first month of the new year, most of us that would take the time to listen to a podcast like this are also working on ways to sharpen right now, right? Well, we've got a new episode that dives deep on introspection. And here's the question. Leaders, do you really work on you? I'm with Tim Spiker today, the president and CEO of the Aperio Group, and we're going to do a deep dive on do we really work on us as leaders? Tim is a speaker, author, leadership consultant, and experience creator, and all of that is pointed towards the mission of better leaders. Let's get to it with Tim. Today, we're going to take a deep dive looking at ourselves introspectively and only because we've got a pro to help us do it the right way. So Tim, let's kick off with a little assessment. I always love like getting a baseline, get us in the, in the mood here, you know, to help all of this conversation flow. So throw us some questions to start thinking about the really big question that we're going to be talking about and talking through on today's show, which is as a leader, do you really work on you? All right. So let's start with the big one right out of the gate. How about this question? Every leader who wants to reach his or her potential needs to be asking this question on a regular basis and then doing something about it. And that is, what part of my character could use some work? Another one that is good is, really, really, what's my motive in this situation? If I'm being really honest with myself and really stepping back, And then a third one would be, uh, why am I doing this? Which is related to the motive question, but by this, I specifically mean leading. Why am I leading? What's What's the end game that I'm after here? I think those three questions can really help us begin to get to the heart of what's going on with us as leaders. Really good way for us to just kind of get in this uh, mindset space. And I want to start with, for those of us that are just like coming into this awareness and maybe we've worked on some of these things before or maybe never before, let's start with what's the most common thing that holds leaders back from really adopting or making a change, like to be the very best leader? What's that, that common holdback? I think it's the fact that the work to become the type of person that really reaches their potential as a leader is hard and takes a long time. And and by the way, these are not very good uh, marketing pitches for what we do as a company because nobody wants to hear, okay, so this is going to take a long time and it's going to be really hard. And hopefully next year you're going to tell me it's expensive, which it is. But ultimately, it's important. The, The analogy that we use in our work around really exceptional leaders is that of a great, big, strong tree. So just imagine that that beautiful tree that's got a huge canopy And the simple question is, how long did it take that tree to grow? How long did it take that tree to become what it is today? And the the short answer is a lifetime. And so many leaders, I know they have incredible pressure to get things done yesterday. We've got a a ROI here. We've got a hit. We've got sales and production we need to produce. I get that. But the reality is we have to invest meaningfully over a long period of time to reach our potential as leaders. And I'll just say, doesn't that make sense? I mean, did we really think 
that there was a magic pill that we could take. <laughs> you know, like this is the leadership version of the matrix. And if you just give me the right color pill, then poof. Of course, we all know that that's not true. So of course, it makes sense that this takes time and energy and effort. That's so good. I love that analogy of the tree. And going into this next question that I want to talk about is for everything that we do and want to change or become a different version of ourselves, so much of it goes back to the way we think about it, right? So if we ever get to this place as a leader that we're like, oh yeah, I'm a leader now. Like <laughs> check, 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 check. I've accomplished these things. That's a mindset shift that we have to make to say, this is a lifelong journey. Like the example of the tree. It never stops growing. We keep getting deeper roots and we keep sharpening and there's always opportunity to get better, you know? And so that mindset of like, I'm a lifelong learner always as a leader, doesn't matter my age or my title or whatever that may be, but I'd like you to expand as well on what are mindset shifts that we must make to be able to consistently grow and really reach that potential? Well, you, you mentioned perhaps the biggest one, and that is the perspective of being a lifetime learner. There is, there may be a destination you're shooting for, but there's, there's no arrival because <laughs> that destination keeps moving. And so that would be the top one. And then based on the research that we've been able to be a part of, it's really being willing to not just evaluate skills and abilities and, and experiences, but really to evaluate uh, who I am as a person, because that has such a deep impact on the quality of our leadership that if we're not if we're not digging into that question of who we are, and I don't mean just in a self-awareness way, I mean in evaluating both the good and the bad aspects of who we are as human beings, it's, it's important to be able to do that if we're going to get there. So I'd love to highlight some things from your recent book, and we're going to be you know, talking about that today and linking that into our show notes and stuff. And let's just start with the highlights from your book talking about two big things that impact a leader's effectiveness. And you mentioned in the book, inwardly sound and others focused. So tell us a story or kind of give us the backstory of how you arrived at these and really what they mean. What I love about this story that I'm about to share is that we accidentally found it. And I'm not suggesting that that anybody who does research and has a hypothesis and then discovers that it's accurate. I'm not saying all those people are lying, <laughs> but I am saying I love when you find things accidentally. So I was working with a boutique consulting firm and we would pay take people up to the west side of Pikes Peak for a week at a time and they would go through a number of exercises, but they also did a number of assessments. They did a personality assessment, a natural ability assessment, and a leadership 360 where they got feedback from the people all around them. And the question that we were getting is what is the, the magical code between personality and natural ability that makes somebody an effective leader? And since we had the data, we could, we could go ahead and run that and come back with, a, with an answer. And so my colleague, Vanessa Kiley, she was our resident number cruncher. So she took the SPSS software. She put it through its paces. And when she came back, here's the answer she had. Absolutely nothing. There was no correlation <laughs> between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance. And so in that moment, I thought, okay, well, at least we've looked, we can give an answer to our clients. And as I turned to walk out of her office that night, she said, but but we did find something that we weren't looking for. <laughs> so I kind of like, huh? okay, what did we find? And she said, well, we found that just two of the eight areas on our leadership 360 are driving just under 70%. And she re-ran that data a few years later with 10 times the data point and that number actually went up from just under 70% to 
to 77%. So why, why does that matter? Well, we had eight aspects of leadership, Nikki, on our, on our 360. And if you just think about a pizza that's split into eight pieces, any two pieces should account for 25% of the pizza. But these two pieces of leadership were accounting for 77% of leadership. In other words, not all areas were equally important and two areas were much more important than the other six areas combined. And so when we stepped back from it, it took me three years to really see this for what it was. So it wasn't certainly wasn't overnight. But when you step back and look at those two things, those two things were about who you are as a person. And so the idea then was birth that this data and research shows that 77%, or if you want to shorthand it, three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, because that's what those two things showed. They were about who you are, who you are, not what you do. And those two things were what you started the question with, inwardly sound and others focused. Wow, that's incredible. Let's go a little bit deeper there for a second, um, because I want to help our listeners define these things. So when we when we say inwardly sound, what is that? When we say others focus, what is that? And maybe just illustrate what great leaders that do these things well, what does that look like? Let's start with inwardly sound. And so I'm going to read off a list of things here. And, and these kinds of lists sound a little bit like a laundry list, and maybe they're not that helpful initially. But I want you to think about the broad spirit if you were to combine all these things. So when we talk about being inwardly sound, we talk about being secure and settled as a person. So this would essentially be the opposite of being insecure. We talk about being self-aware. We talk about being principled, holistically healthy purposeful, which is to say you have clarity around your purpose as a human being, and finally, emotionally mature. Those are the six things that we talk about and think about and work with our clients on around the idea of being somebody who's inwardly sound. On the other's focus side of things, we talk about being attentive, curious, empathic, humble, and we use a Greek word called agapone. Uh, the reason we use the Greek is because it's much more pliable than than what we have in English. The technical translation is being loving. A lot of people freak out about that in the marketplace. But we talk about agapone as being service to and care for others that is selfless, consistent, and unconditional. So just to give people an idea of that's essentially compassion in action. And then finally, emotional maturity, which I meant to, mentioned under Interview Sound, also has a foot here in others' focus. So I realize those are a lot of words and ideas there, but hopefully it gives you a flavor for what it's like. Now, you ask, a, you ask about who might embody some of these things. A couple of people uh, come to mind, although there are lots others if we, as we wanted to dig in. You know, the Interview Sound side, I think we, have, we, we know so much from history about Abraham Lincoln. And if you, if you read into his inner story, which we get a chance to know a little bit about what he wrote, you see somebody that was steadfast and clear about who he was. And, you know, imagine, it's probably tough for us to imagine uh, the pressures and pulls that he had. But, you know, the book, The Team of Rivals, talks about how he put people around him that didn't share his views. That takes a really secure leader. Uh, rather than just gathering people around me that are going to agree with everything I have to say, he felt that the best way to govern and lead would be to have perspectives of people that didn't exactly share his own. So I think Abraham Lincoln provides us a really interesting example, a really valuable example around inwardly sound. On the other's focus side of things, uh, one of the folks that comes to mind is the late Herb Kelleher, who was one of the founders of Southwest Airlines. 
you know, Southwest Airlines financial performance is legendary. And I think that's important because in the end, we are talking about the, the leaders produce results. So this isn't just a let's feel good story. But one of the things that Herb was adamant about and has continued through South, Southwest Airlines to this day, as you look at all the various leaders that have come after him, is this idea that one of the primary roles of a leader in Southwest Airlines is to be somebody who serves the people that they're leading. And they preach that, they develop that. There is absolutely no wavering on that. In fact, many people may be aware that as far as their ticker symbol, it is L-U-V. And that's not by mistake. So I, those two, those two uh, individual leaders come to mind when I think about inwardly sound and others focused. Thank you for just helping us to really get a picture of people in our lives as you were throwing out those different traits, you know, like uh, a purpose-driven life, an emotionally intelligent, mature, well-rounded, healthy person. Like I'm starting to think of leaders that I know, and it's just really helpful to get that um, as we're listening through audio here. Now, here's here's a question. I know we had talked through this, so I want to make sure this question gets in here, but let's just get a picture for a second, you know, self-awareness and living a purpose-directed life and showing up curious rather than, you know, pointing fingers or attentive to people. Those aren't overnight changes. Many people live their whole lives and they would never be known for those traits, right? So you told me that the most common question that you get from others, you know, in the work that you do is like, is it even possible for grown adults to like meaning, meaningfully develop like who they are past a certain place once they're an established adult? So tell us how you answer that question. So if you go back in time to Piaget was uh, a Swiss psychologist who basically introduced the world to the idea of the formative years. And in his work, he rightly concluded that earlier in life, we're more moldable. We can become more of who we are uh, at those stages of life. And when you take that idea and then you couple it with the fact that many of us has, have seen people who are, let's just, for example, call full adulthood past the age of 30. I don't mean that to be offensive to anybody who might be completely mature at 24. Congratulations to you and everybody around you, but I wasn't. So we'll just, we'll just from a research standpoint, 30 is like, hey, nobody debates how fully developed we might be at that point. So if you go past the age of 30, 40, 50. Many of us have seen people, whether in leadership or not, or not, who are not really willing to grow and develop. They're not really willing to change. And so if you take Piaget's research, and then you take this observation that many of us have had, that, that people who are further on in life seem to have a difficult time growing and developing who they are, we can come to a very logical, but completely wrong conclusion that people can't grow and develop in who they are later in life. So Cheryl Armand and Theo Dawson are two researchers who put this to the test. And they were basing their work on uh, Lawrence Kohlberg's work around moral reasoning. And they started a 14-year study to see whether people could grow and develop at various stages. And there were many people that were in their study. They had people as old as 55 when the study started grow and develop in the moral reasoning of who they are as a person. Now, I'm not talking about intellectual reasoning. I'm talking about the core of who a person is. What was really interesting in their research to me is that, you know, Kohlberg has various stages of moral development, and there's this top level. And what Armand and Dawson found is that no one, no one under the age of 35 made it into that top level of moral reasoning. So I understand why there might be the perception or even the question to say, hey, fine, Tim, 
the who, not what principle that, that who you are as a, as a person, how well developed you are as a person, that's three quarters of leadership. It's, I can buy into that's, that that's true, that, that life matches up with the research you're talking about. But can people really grow and develop in adulthood? Can they come, can they become better at the core of who, who they are? The answer is yes. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But the answer is yes. And the data proves it out. Not only those data points that I've shared, but also data with some of our clients that we've been able to see things move forward in a very, uh, in a very clear way. And most of our clients are, are not under the age of 40. So yes, people can grow and develop even later in life. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. That is a great summary right there. <laughs> that what you just said. All right. So, and Tim, if the conclusion is that leaders must work on who they are, who we are, inwardly sound, others focused to reach their leadership potential, how can they actually do it then? What are the next steps? Well, there are three things that I think are really critical to doing this type of work because this is, this is very different than learning a skill. This is very different than learning a new idea about the strategy, uh, organizational development, or business. We're going much deeper than that. And so it's really critical that we be willing to go to that depth. So that's the first thing, depth. We need willingness in leaders to have the courage to look in the mirror. And by the way, the first time they do that, they're already practicing because courage is something that's very important in leadership. So there we go. We're, we're off and running. Um, but it's so important that we be willing to look under the hood of our own car, that we've got to peel back and not simply look at actions. That's a, that's a, that's a sucker's thing to do when it comes to leadership development. We have to be willing to look at motives and perspectives. We've got to go deeper than mere actions if we're going to develop who we are as people. So that's the depth part. The second part is community. And what I mean by that is we need traveling buddies. We need people that are going to help hold us accountable because as we were talking earlier, this is a long slog. <laughs> this is a tough road. This is far more a marathon than a sprint. And so we need people who are going to check in with us along the way. If you and I and uh, another friend of ours, Jason Cochran, we'll get a shout out to Jason Cochran. If the three of us say, hey, we want to be the best leaders we can be. So we're going to work on being curious, and we put together a little plan for doing that. Then we need to touch base once in a while. We need to check in. Hey, we're going to spend an hour uh, every other week. If that sounds like way too much to somebody who's listening. All right, fine. Do it once a month. But what is that regular rhythm where you are asking me, Nikki, hey, Tim, did you follow through on the curious plan over the last couple of weeks or the last month? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, okay. You said you wanted to be serious about this. So what are you going to do next month? The other thing that comes along with community besides accountability is the opportunity to learn. I get to hear your stories, Nikki. Hey, you know what? I ask a follow-on question in a meeting where I wouldn't have normally, and two things happened. I learned so much more, and I really felt like I had a, a better relationship with the person I was interacting with than I did even before that conversation. So now I get to hear your story. I get to learn from your experience. And on top of that, I get to hear your evaluation of mine. So between accountability and learning, community is really important in this type of work. And the final piece, depth, community, and time. Again, I know nobody wants to hear this. <laughs> we all want it to happen yesterday. But the reality is we're working on very personal, very deep things in a way. And this is really 
you know, rarely is it a flip of a switch. I don't say never because there is one way in which sometimes people will change very quickly. That's usually through tragedy. We don't arrange that. That's not part of our work. We don't want that to happen. So outside of that, and by the way, tragedy doesn't always produce great results in the who of, of leaders. Sometimes it goes the opposite direction. But the primary way is a little bit over time, step by step by step. One of our, one of our clients that's done incredible work over the last five years on who they are, he says, this is brushing your teeth. This is brushing your teeth. You have to stay engaged with working on who you are a little bit every day, every week. And so over time, you get a chance to be in all of those leadership opportunities. The lab is your real life of leading. And time gives us a chance to to push into those things over, over time. Time gives us time so that we can take those small steps like brushing our teeth every day. So to do this kind of work well, it does require depth, community, and time. Curious of a favorite story in working with a client or, you know, a friend on number one. So this individual, you know, was willing to go deep and they really had this self-awareness and this courage that triggered change because they, they went deep and they realized something and it was just really you giving them the platform and the tools and they had that aha, like, Oh, and you were able to see them come to that awareness because, you know, so much of change happens when we create our own behavior change. And you talk about tragedy. That, that's one example. Like, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we have to go through that to learn. Right. Um, and it does help us. But then other times, you know, we really do the work on these first steps, like just getting aware and getting courage, really looking in the mirror. And that behavior change is triggered because we're like, wow. Okay, I got it. Do you have anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I can, I can think of a couple things. Uh, there was one executive that we started working with. Oh, it's probably been uh, five years ago now. And about 18 months into the work, and, and credit to him, he, he really dialed in. He really locked in. In particular, he really started some great disciplines around mindfulness to just get more in touch with his own emotions and allow him to also... It's interesting about when you when you become more aware of your own emotions, oftentimes it will enlighten you to the emotions of others at the same time. You realize, oh, wow, other people, <laughs> I'm experiencing way more internal swings than I realized. Is that possibly going on for the other people around me as well? Yes, it is, in fact. And so he really dug in, especially around emotional maturity. And it was such a fun story that, that he shared that, you know, he was willing to do the work a little bit every day. And somebody came to him. Like I said, we're about a year and a half in. And this person said to him, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, I was leaving this organization and you were the reason. Now I'm staying and you are the reason. And I'm like, wow, like that, what, what a, what a short, clear sentence about the impact that leaders have on the people that, that, that they're leading. And, and she was clear that she wanted to stay. I can think of another story where there was a leader who was in a tough spot. He had to fire somebody who was many decades his senior across the ocean over the telephone. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I do not envy your situation. But what we talked about in that moment is the idea of being others focused by being empathic. And I just challenged him to take 300 seconds. Now, if, you're, if you're good at math, that's five minutes. Take five minutes and just just put yourself in that person's position before you pick up the phone. What's it going to be like 
to get fired. And I know, oh, by the way, this person was at the end of their career. This wouldn't be fire, go on to another job. He was, the person was being let go, was old enough uh, in his career that that was going to be the end. And so what would it, what would it feel like? And thankfully he was willing to do that work, to really do that work. Not like, oh yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that. And then like, think about it for 10 seconds. No, actually take time, quiet your mind, quiet your heart and think about what that other person might feel when you make this phone call. So to his credit, he did that. That led him to think about how do I want to do this? Like what would be the best way to do this? What, how would I want to be honored if I was being let, let go? And by the way, I should also say the person was being let go for cause. They weren't doing their job or they, they were creating all kinds of headaches for the person that was firing them. So this wasn't like circumstantial downsizing. It was you're being let go because of repeated underperformance. It's hard for most of us to empathize with people who are making our lives difficult. And yet he took the time to do that. He concluded that the best way to do this ultimately was to basically have a farewell tour. And so eventually he, he flew down under to be with this person. And they did essentially a farewell tour with all the clients. At the end of that time, the person who was being let go turned to the young, much younger uh, leader who was firing him and said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Is that, you know, my schedule's fairly free. Why? He said, why don't you come spend the day with me and my wife out on our boat? Now, some people joke that he was going to push him overboard. That's not the case. <laughs> he did. He went and sp- that had gone so well that they had built a bond. And in the midst of letting somebody go, um, there was a, there was a unique and positive connection. And I, and I asked him afterwards, you know, I, this isn't all about dollars and cents, but talk to me about the business impact. He said, well, f- with the relationships that this person had, uh, we had about $3 million in business that was at risk. And now we have absolutely no problem, 100% retention on all of our clients, even as we had to let this person go. So yes, there's relational stories that connect in with all of this, but there's also bottom line impact. Even if you go back to the first story, what's the cost of turnover? People say for a, for a skilled professional, it's about three times salary. So retention is a big issue as well. So both on the human side, and on the business side, there are really great examples of people who were willing to do the work to become more well-developed who's, and it had a very tangible and positive impact on their leadership and their results. Those stories are so, first of all, inspiring. And then for the work that you do, totally rewarding, you know, to be able to lock those into your memory and then share those with others to inspire change. That's neat. And a lot of reason why we do this podcast to inspire others. So in your book called The Only Leaders Worth Following, which we'll link in the show notes, trust is not a surprising topic for a chapter. It comes up in most every leadership book and it should. I want you to share your mindset or your come from on trust as a leadership necessity. Well, ultimately, there is a deep connection between trust and leadership. And it's not just a logical one that we, that we might imagine. So I'm, I'm going to share with you some more numbers. You can, you can see my engineer comes out as I, as I want, to, want to share all these numbers. But ultimately, let's think back to those two things that we've been talking about, inwardly sound and others focused. When we follow leaders who are that, they are more trustworthy. When they're inwardly sound, this is a stable, sane person who can take a punch and keep on going. They're not easily swayed by the challenges of the moment. And then this others-focused leader who is not showing up just for their own ego, their own bank account, they're here to serve and to help and to care for others. When leaders like that tell us to go run through a wall, generally speaking, we do it. (laughs) We give them our very best because 
we don't have suspicions or not holding our discretionary effort back because we wonder if maybe we're being manipulated. No, it's like, okay, this person is, this, this is a solid person who cares about me and my career. And they're saying, Hey, let's take this hill. Like, okay, let's do it. So ultimately when you have a trustworthy leader with that trust born out of being inwardly sound and others focused, you get more engagement. And ultimately that engagement, there are 300 studies worldwide that show the connection between engagement and results. And so that's the continuum. Inwardly sound and others focused leads to being more trustworthy. Being more trustworthy leads to being more engaged and more engaged leads to better results. So that's the role that trust plays in it. But one of the things I'd like to do, if you're up for it, is put you through a little exercise to show that connection between trust and engagement, because that's the thing that not enough people are talking about, frankly. And I have a little exercise that we do with our with our clients around that. So if you're up for it, I'd love to do it with you. I'm up for it. Let's do it. Okay. So now this is a visualization exercise, Nikki. So what I need you to do is really put yourself in the mindset of where you most commonly receive emails, whether that be at your laptop or on your phone. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an email to you. We're going to pretend that it has just popped up uh, on your device. And I'm going to read it to you. And what we're after here is what are you feeling? What are you feeling? So in order to set that up, Nikki, I need you to imagine the name of somebody you really, really do not trust. Okay. Got somebody? Yep. Usually people don't have a hard time coming up with with that one. All right. So imagine the little notification comes up. Now I'm going to read to you what the email says. The subject is you have been chosen. I have chosen you to take on some new responsibilities. They won't be easy, but I think they are a real fit with your skills. This will be a big help to our team, and I'm confident that this will advance your career. In the end, even though this will be difficult, you're really going to benefit from this. I promise. So now, Nikki, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being coming out of your skin excited, 1 being I'm deleting this email right now. Write down what your number is. Okay. All right? So now we're going to do another visualization. Okay? We're going to do a different visualization this time. And this time, instead of imagining that you're receiving something from somebody you really, really don't trust, I want you to imagine you're getting this from somebody you really, really do trust. So opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. Got somebody in mind? I do. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to read another email to you. Now, again, visualize. We want you to really feel what you would feel if you receive this email from a person that you really, really trust. Here's the email. Subject line, some, uh, subject line, you have been chosen. I have chosen you to take on some new responsibilities. They won't be easy, but I think they are a real fit with your skills. This will be a big help to our team, and I'm confident that this will advance your career. In the end, even though this will be difficult, you're really going to benefit from this. I promise. Okay. Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being coming out of your skin excited, 1 being I'm deleting this email right now, write down your number. Okay. All right. What was, okay, first of all, first question, Nikki, was your first number bigger than your second number? No. No, it wasn't. <laughs> your first number, your first one, it never is. The The, the first number is never bigger than the, than the second number. So the first number that you wrote down for the person you really, really don't trust what number did you write down? Two. Okay, two. The second number that you wrote down, 
you got this note from somebody you really, really do trust. What was that number? Nine. Nine. Okay. So let's do a little math, okay? If two goes to four, that's a 100% increase. If four goes to six, that's a 200% increase. If six goes to eight, that's a 300% increase. If eight goes to nine, that's a, th- that's a 50% increase. Your excitement and engagement about this opportunity that we just read to you increased by 350% based on one factor alone, the trustworthiness of the person delivering the message. Wow. I do this exercise with groups all the time, Nikki. I will tell you in the room, it is never below 200%. It's usually in the range of about 275% increase in engagement based on trustworthiness. That's incredible. And that is an awesome example. (laughs) And so this is why we have to work as leaders. If we want to reach our potential, we have to work on becoming more trustworthy. And that's very different than building trust. And I say that, Nikki, I am not against a good whitewater rafting trip. I'm not. I, I like that as much as the next person. But that is not what being trustworthy is about. That's those getting to know you things that sometimes organizations will do. Ultimately, getting back to the brushing brushing the teeth idea, if every day, step by step, I can become more inwardly sound and others focused, that is what's going to make me trustworthy. That is, in your case, what's going to create engagement that goes up by 350%. And that is what's going to get us a better result in the long run because you are bringing your discretionary effort at that point because the person you're following is trustworthy. Okay. I'm really excited that I asked that question now because the thing that just clicked for me about this trust question is really focusing on the why versus the how. So many chapters and books many times it's like, okay, well, here's the how and you know, like the becoming inwardly sound, becoming others focused, how to do that. I want to learn about that, but in order to really get people there, like understanding why, like I want to be a great leader. I want people to, you know, follow me and embrace what we're doing and engage with our efforts. Okay. Let's understand. Let's take it 10 steps back and understand why even work on being inwardly sound and others focused because it is a lifelong journey. You know, it's not easy. It's not overnight. It's a long time and it's going to be a lot of, you know, hills and valleys keep trudging through that because of just this example right here, this 350% increase, people will work with you, you know, to get to results when they trust you, you know, and oh, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Tim, we've got to wrap this part of the show. uh, But I want to ask you, I want to just put you on the spot for a second. If you could narrow down one habit, just one, I'm a big habits person. I love it. And a recent book that I've read now like 10 times just to throw out a book is um, Atomic Habits because it's just, just sharpening and habit stacking. I love it. What's one habit that you personally would recommend to our leader listener audience to adopt or sharpen? Ooh, you're forcing me to pick one. This forced uh, force narrowing is hard. I'm going to go with one that may not be the hardest one, but I do think it's got a lot of, uh, it's simple. And this is around the issue of being curious. If you, if you do a search on the internet for business and curiosity, you're going to find a lot of articles. And all of them, pretty much, all of them are going to talk about intellectual curiosity. And intellectual curiosity is important for leaders, but you know what's just as important is being curious about people. 
being curious about their ideas, being curious about their perspectives. And I find that there are leaders who are not as effective as they could be, as they could be, who are wildly intellectually curious, but not at all curious about the people around them and their ideas and their perspectives. So a very simple practice, a very simple habit is to use a phrase that was taught to me by Dr. Mary Shippey. So thank you, Dr. Shippey. Uh, This phrase has not only impacted me as a leader, it's impacted me as a human being. And uh, so I'm so thankful that she was working with me that she taught this. But the idea is very simply to say, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Maybe my goal in the next week is 10 times to say, tell me more about that. Now, obviously, we have to be genuine about this. By the way, don't say, tell me more about that when you're heading out the door and have, don't have time to listen to somebody. <laughs> like that, that will be a recipe for ruining relationships. So you have to, you have to be thoughtful about how you do this. But if you'll genuinely listen and ask that question, two things will happen. Number one, you're going to learn things that you didn't know before. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be 180 degrees off. It might be five degrees off. It might be that you didn't learn that somebody, you knew what their perspective was, but maybe you learned a little bit more about their background and how they got there. So tell me more about that is going to give you more information to be a better decision maker. And that's something that I hear from leaders all the time is that we need to have better information so we can make better decisions. The other thing that will happen that for the long haul might be even more important than the moment of making decisions is the relationship will improve. Who among us doesn't like to have somebody take an interest in you? And so, again, all this gets, we got to do it genuinely. This is not, you don't say, tell me more about it and not mean that you actually want to hear more. You got to do it generally. But when you do, you get better information and you get better relationships over the long haul. That practice alone can help us become more others focused. And that's a wrap. That uh, habit right there is good for anyone, leader or never aspiring aspiring to be a leader, whoever you are. Just, I was just thinking like that, question, you know, tell me, can you tell me more about that? How much more enjoyable would our holiday gatherings be if everyone came from that? How much more warm and inviting would it be if everyone would come from that, come from of being curious, right? So all of us just, you know, working on that one habit could change the world, literally, literally change the world. Tim, this is awesome. Thank you for the conversation. Love the energy. So many key takeaways uh, that we'll be summarizing for our listeners. Now we're going to do our lightning round, which we ask these questions just to get to know our guests a little bit better on the show. Um, And this first question I know is always a little bit of a tough one. So we've expanded it. Your favorite book of all time, Tim, or a favorite recent read to share with our listener audience? I'm totally going to cheat and say two. (laughs) So uh, I know I'm not allowed to do it, but here we go. There's a book called How You Measure Your Life. It's by Clayton Christensen. Clayton actually just recently passed away. Clayton um, has been rated over the last decade as one of the most influential consultants on the planet. And he is known around disruptive innovation, which is really interesting that somebody in disruptive innovation wrote a book about how do you measure the quality of one's life. It has significant implications for leadership. I encourage anybody to take a look at it. That gets at that purposeful idea with an inwardly sound. Another one that's a, that's an all-timer is called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's a book by the Arbinger Institute. It's, uh, gosh, I think it's probably 20 years old at this point, but it is a gem of a book to hold the mirror up to us to help us see the assumptions the judgments, uh, the story writing that we do to justify our behavior, especially when we're in leadership positions. It's a really great read. Tim, how about a favorite vacation spot? Anywhere in the mountains. 
I, I mean, I know this whole mountain beach debate, but for me, I look out on a, on a mountain peak and it could be in the Appalachians or in the Rockies or, or anywhere else. But for me, just feeling a little closer to God when I'm looking at the mountains. So I love the mountains. And then how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Well, I've got, uh, we have a small, we have a small army in our family. So I've got four kids, 11, nine, seven, and three. And most of them are into some type of, not all athletics, some, some dance or whatever, but anything that my kids are doing, watching them do it is just a, a joy of my life. It doesn't, now it doesn't make me any fitter, but it does do a lot for my soul. So I really love watching my kids do their things. And then Tim, how can listeners connect with you after the show today? So probably the, the easiest place to find us is at the, T-H-E, onlyleaders.com. So that'll take you to our website. There's a chance to sign up to be a part of our email list. If you do that, you'll, uh, we, we're working on a, about to release a discussion guide to go along with the book. So if you're on our email list, you'll get a free copy of that. But we, we do this thing called journeys. It's not a literal trip, but it's, it's how we do our leadership development that we've been talking about here in, in different ways. And in 2021, we want to make your, uh, your listeners an offer here, there's a, there's a code box at that website. And if they put gut and science, and we will not make a distinction whether they use a plus symbol or write the word and. I just want you to know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be sticklers about that, but we'll put in, if you put gut and science, if at any point in 2021, you decide to join us for one of our leadership development journeys, we'll give you $500 off. Oh, wow. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So this was, this was great. So awesome. I encourage you all to pick up Tim's book as well, which we'll link in the show notes. So pick that up. I just got done reading it and awesome. Tim, thank you so much for your time and guys, we'll see you next week. Such a great episode for this time of year. Don't you agree? Tim Spiker nailed it. So much packed into this episode, but a couple of key takeaways that we'll summarize into truth you can act on. All right. So number one, We must, as leaders, be willing to go deep. Self-awareness, courage, willing to change, all of those things. Number two, we need community now more than ever. What are we doing to consistently pour into the people around us and have those relationships and the depth of relationships? And number three, time. A great reminder about time is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And for many of us like myself that are excited to start the new year and have so many goals, just to keep in mind our changes and self-awareness that we're taking to trigger ourselves to change, it's all baby steps, right? That get us to that overall impact down the road. Just remembering it's a marathon, not a sprint. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.